This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, a company whose whole grain oatmeals, flours, and baking mixes are the backbone of proper nutrition for athletes. And so for a lot of us here at Outside, they've become part of our lives. And we've spent 12 weeks now talking about all the different whole grains Bob's makes and their health benefits. Chia, teff, spelt, frika, millet. Start working them into your regular diet and you'll like the way they make you feel. I promise. Or for powerful nutrition on the go, Bob's bars are a portable energy bar packed with real ingredients. But what I want to talk about today isn't a whole grain or a whole food filled energy bar. In fact, it's something that at first seems kind of at odds with Bob's image as a health food provider. What I want to talk about today are the incredibly large cookies that you can get at the Bob's Red Mill store in Portland. Oatmeal, snickerdoodle, chocolate chip, peanut butter. They come in all sorts of flavors, and they're pretty much the size of my entire hand. And I've always liked them as a reminder that proper nutrition for athletes isn't exclusively about eating vegetables or exotic grains. Real athletes eat a variety of foods, including cookies. What they have in common is that they're made from real ingredients. If it takes a cookie to realize that, well, you'll be better off in the long run. Find more recipes and treats at bobsredmill.com outside, where we're still giving away prizes from Bob's Red Mill and outside. You can win a subscription to the magazine, a book from our collection, and a brand new backpack. One winner will be selected at random each month. That's bobsredmill.com outside. Hey everyone, a quick announcement. If you're still looking for gifts for the holidays, this is just a reminder that an outside subscription to the actual physical magazine makes a really good gift. Right now you can get a year of the magazine, plus digital, plus a calendar, winter buyer's guide, summer buyer's guide, and the outside plus app for 12 bucks. That is as good as these deals get. So if you like this podcast, like the magazine, go to outsideonline.com slash giveoutside. That's outsideonline.com slash giveoutside. From Outside Magazine and PRX, this is the Outside Podcast. If not for bringing people inspirational stories of overcoming adversity, what are marathons for? And of the many storylines that came to prominence at the New York Marathon last month, perhaps the most inspiring was the performance of Keegan Randall. It was her first ever marathon. She was 35 years old. And yet she finished 51st among all women and 12th in her age group. It was impressive, even for Keegan, who's one of the most accomplished cross-country ski racers in American history. Still, going into New York, she wasn't just looking to challenge herself by taking up a new sport. In May of 2018, about 18 months ago, Keegan had been diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer. And here she was running a marathon. Coming back stronger from tough times and failure is something Keegan has been doing for her entire career. I mean, her extreme grit under the nickname Keek Animal back in high school. Outside contributor Stephanie Joyce talked to her about how she got so tough and how she came back so fast. Keegan wasn't feeling at the top of her game heading into the 2018 Winter Olympics. It was her fifth games. She was a world-class cross-country skier, the first American woman with a shot at a medal. But six weeks before getting to Pyeongchang, she developed a stress fracture in her foot. And so I had to back off of skiing, and I was aqua jogging in the pool and doing all these alternative exercises. 
and I wasn't cleared to start skiing until about three weeks before the Olympics. And even then, Keegan wasn't sure she'd actually get the chance to race. The younger skiers on the team, who'd come up behind her, were skiing really well. So as we came to the Olympics, the coaches were going to be deciding on who got to do what race, literally the day or two before, because we had a limited number of spots, and they had to pick the girl, the women who, that they thought were going to be the fastest on that day in that event. The coaches decided to give her a chance, and her first race was okay. Her second one was a little bit better, but neither was a medal-worthy performance. And Keegan wasn't sure she'd get another chance. There were just a few days left in the Olympics and only one more race for her to compete in, the team sprint. It's a two-person relay with handoffs every one and a quarter kilometers. One of the spots was definitely going to Jesse Diggins, the team's up-and-coming star. But it wasn't until 36 hours before the race that the coaches told Keegan she'd be the other skier. I was really nervous about skiing the first leg because I was uh, up against Marit Bjergen and Charlotte Kala, who are two very successful distance skiers. And since we're racing three rounds, I knew I was going to have to really stay with them. So, uh, you know, first lap goes through, okay, I'm sticking with them, I'm feeling good. Second lap, the pace accelerates. By the end of the second laps, you know, it was kind of down to three teams. And so if I could just hang on in that last lap, I knew barring disaster, we'd probably get a medal. So it was pretty wild to be watching the three skiers come down that final downhill. As they come into the stadium, Diggins trying to get in on the outside. Jesse when they came into the stadium and, and Jesse, you know, was right behind Sweden, it was like, we may, we may, could, we could fight for like the silver. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh my gosh, we're fighting for the gold. Diggins making the play around Sweden. Jesse Diggins to the line. And it is Jesse Diggins. And then I got to run over and tackle Jesse, and she still had enough breath to say, did we just win the Olympics? cross-country gold medal for the U.S. Winning an Olympic gold medal, in fact, winning an Olympic medal period, was something Keegan had been working towards for almost 20 years. She started cross-country skiing when she was five in her hometown of Anchorage, Alaska. Her parents signed her up for a junior Nordic program that practiced after school in the dark under stadium lights. I will admit that I did not love it at first. Um, I remember whining and complaining to my parents that it was cold and that it was boring. But they did a very artful job of reminding me that if I skied up the hill, then I got to go down the hill and I could go off jumps and we could make slalom courses out with our poles. And we would play these games uh, like tag on our skis. And after that first season or two, my parents said, OK, if you if you don't like it, you can try other things. And so I took a break for a few years. And then I came back to it because my cousins were doing it and two of my aunts were coaching and I really looked up to them. And then from there on, um, I loved it, although I didn't realize it was going to be my full-time pursuit until I was about 16. That's when Keegan joined the very serious club team at Alaska Pacific University. The next year, she was named the U.S. ski team. And by the time she was 19, she was on her way to her first Olympics in Salt Lake City. When I was out there kind of warming up for my first race, I was watching the skiers go by that I still had on my wall. And I just, I jump in behind them and just follow them for a little while. And I probably trained a little too hard those two weeks because I was just having fun kind of testing the waters. And 
my best my best race was 44th so i i remember even though i knew i was just getting there for experience i still it was still hard not to feel a little bit overwhelmed and a little bit disappointed to to not be that more competitive but at the same time it just fueled the fire inside me to be competitive someday it was after those games that i sat down with my coach and we kind of mapped out all the different steps we felt i was going to need to to make to reach the podium and once we mapped it out it was going to be a 10 year process and uh that was pretty daunting at the time but it also gave me a roadmap to and allowed me to see that that it was possible if i just did it one step at a time i mean that's a pretty remarkable thing for a 19 year old to do to map out a 10 year plan and then actually stick to it yeah uh <laughs> it's it's crazy to look back on it now i mean i think at the time i thought well this this plan looks like it's going to take 10 years, but I'm going to work extra hard. I'm going to make it happen way sooner than that. So that kind of motivated me in the beginning. And then as I got, as I was working my way through it, there were definitely points when I felt very far from being on track. And, um, 2005, I remember being a real low point because I finished dead last at the world championships and, uh, just was missing home. Our, our women's team got pulled out of the relay. Um, and then that next season, the U.S. ski team decided to not fund any development skiers or any women's skiers. So it was just going, man, is this even possible? In spite of those doubts, Keegan stuck to the plan, and things did get better. She started climbing in the World Cup rankings and racking up podiums at various international competitions. So heading into the 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi, Keegan was a gold medal favorite. Up to that point, it felt like everything was really coming together. And it was kind of like, oh my gosh, wow, this 10-year plan, it really paid off. But when I found out that I had missed the quarterfinals by five hundredths of a second, um, I just, it's just, it's shock at first. You just can't believe that that one opportunity you've been working on for your entire life and all of a sudden it's done, it's over. And, and I did the best I could. Um, I tried to put the race behind me and focus on the three other opportunities we had in the relay events um, for the rest of the week. When those didn't pan out, I definitely was feeling pretty beat up at the end of those Olympics. Um, but, but I knew life was going to be okay. How quickly, how quickly did you decide to try again in 2018? Um, I mean, I knew at the end of 2014 that even though I wouldn't get a chance at at my best individual event in 2018, our team really had a good chance. And I also knew that I'd had done so much hard work and that it was just getting to the fun part um, that I wasn't really ready to walk away. But my husband and I also wanted to start a family. So we kind of like looked at that four-year period and I kind of wanted to race. I wanted to race the season after 2014 because I wanted to kind of proved to myself that I could be strong and we had a world championship that year and so I I kind of went after one more season um ended up kind of frying myself though because I was I was just a little bit too intent on proving myself and I was still catching up on all the sponsor obligations and things from 2014 and ended up a little bit uh flat that season and kind of fried and overdone yeah, so you had a you had a tough 2014 season, a tough 2015 season. Then you decide to have your son in 2016, you know, and 
some women recover really quickly from childbirth, but others, you know, don't. It takes it takes a long time. How did you think about that risk at the time you made the decision, the risk that you might not be able to compete in 2018? Well, to me, really, that that second that last four years was kind of icing on the cake, because if I looked back at my career um, up through 2014, I had won three overall sprint flip globes, which had never even been a possibility when I started. I'd won 13 World Cup races, uh, two world championship medals. I'd had a very successful career. The only thing missing was that Olympic medal. And so I, I was very content with what I'd accomplished so that if I didn't ever make it back after having a baby, that was okay. You know, you've been an athlete your whole life. You've obviously, you know, see your body as something that's capable of a lot. But did did having to give birth and then come back from that, did that change how you saw your body? Yeah, I think anytime your body goes through a major change, um, it makes you kind of stop and really appreciate um, how it feels to be in really good shape. As I kind of gradually came back into top form, I was kind of recognizing the improvement at each stage. I kind of felt like every three weeks I would notice like, wow, I feel even stronger. And so it was kind of cool because for probably 15 years, I had just been getting gradually in better and better and better shape. So I never had that chance to step back and like feel myself really getting in shape again. And being pregnant kind of gave me that opportunity. And so I definitely came out of it with a greater appreciation um, for my body, for all the things I love to do. Keegan had already decided to retire from skiing before she won the gold in Pyeongchang. She was 34 and had spent her entire adult life as a professional ski racer. She felt like it was time to try something new. So the summer before the Olympics, she and her husband Jeff started packing up their house in Anchorage, getting ready to move to British Columbia with their son Breck. Because my husband had received this job offer and we had decided to, to commit to it. So it was it was pretty wild, but it was also kind of exciting an exciting way to really start the next chapter. Because I think if I'd come back to Anchorage and, you know, after maybe the craziness of, of finishing uh, the gold medal in the season, you know, a month later, the inclination would have been like, okay, it's May 1st, it's time to start training again. And so in a way to, to move somewhere different, it was like, okay, we're really starting fresh. And it was so crazy uh, because of the gold medal um, on it, in addition to everything else that when I finally kind of got to Penticton and, and we were here, had been here for a week or two, it was like, oh my gosh, I could finally take a deep breath and think about starting this chapter. Yeah. What did that, when you, when you finally had a chance to actually breathe and be like, okay, now it's time to think about what's next. How did that feel? I was just, I mean, I was still recovering from like the just overwhelming experience of everything, so much happening so fast. You know, some of it was just kind of like still that just in awe of like, wow, that 10 year plan, you know, that that whole thing, this dreaming about this, you know, we actually did it. And and then but then also realizing like, OK, if I were to sit down and try to make a 10 year plan for the future and what, what my next goal is now, all of a sudden things are way less clear. And, uh, you know, it's like a little bit daunting to be like, OK, what is next? 
So it was just, yeah, it was a lot to think about and figure out, but, but I was just in such a good place to, to really start tackling that. And the last thing on my mind was that there was something lurking that was just going to change everything. So earlier we heard about the outrageously large cookies that you can get at Bob's Red Mill, the actual building itself, the mill in Portland. But if you're not in Portland, I want to point you to the Bob's Red Mill website, where you can get all the info you need to make your own giant cookies, or anything you want. The Bob's Red Mill recipe section is incredible. You can look up recipes by meal or by holiday if you want to make something special to celebrate, even by the appliance that you want to use if you're looking for something to make with an instant pot or bread machine. You can also sort by dietary need or simply the time you have to make something from less than 30 minutes to more than two hours and a lot in between. So if you're looking for ways to improve your diet, you should check it out by clicking the recipes tab at bobsredmill.com. Three months after she won the Olympics on Mother's Day 2018, Keegan was still settling into her new home in Penticton, British Columbia. She remembers it being a warm, sunny day. We live right across from these trails up on a mountainside. And so being so new to town, we're like, let's go explore. And um, in the middle of May, they have these big yellow flowers that come out. They're called balsam root. Um, And so there were just these yellow flowers everywhere. and, And Breck had just turned two years old. So he's kind of toddling around and so we just out, went out for this hike and, and I just remember going like, wow, we've moved to such a cool place and here we are all together. And, uh, it's just, it was just such a great day. Um, and then getting ready for bed that night, I just happened to brush past a spot and a hard spot. And I thought it was my rib bone at first. And I, and I kind of had the joke, joking thought in my head of like, geez, it's been a month since I stopped strength training and I'm already losing my muscle. Like I thought it was my rib bone poking out, but then, um, then I felt it and it was actually like a little hard spot that was kind of moving around. And so I showed it to Jeff and he's like, yeah, that's kind of weird. And just instantly I had this kind of sinking feeling about it. Like it just, it, it bugged me that it was Sunday night and I couldn't do anything about it until at least the next morning. I just, I just wanted to know. So the next morning I, I marched into the mammogram department at the local hospital and uh, not knowing that I needed to be referred. Um, so then I went to the hospital to a walk-in clinic um, to see a doctor. And when I saw the doctor there, he's like, oh, okay, well, you know, I feel something, but you're young and healthy, so it's probably nothing, um, but let's go ahead and get the scans. So I said, great. And then I went in for the mammogram and ultrasound and whatever they saw in the ultrasound was concerning. So then they did a, did a biopsy. Um, And again, I'm still going, okay, well, it's it's probably going to be nothing. Um, But when I, when I got the call and found out it was actual breast cancer, it just, I I couldn't believe it. I mean, I just, I couldn't believe it coming off of feeling so strong, how that could, how that could happen. Was there a lot of denial? Like, this can't be happening to me? Um... Certainly, and and denial and like frustration of just like this isn't fair. <laughs> like I've done all the right things, you know. I've taken good care of myself. Um, 
I, I have, you know, so many things I want to do and, uh, I feel fine. Like this is, this can't be true. Um, I think as an Olympic athlete, always feeling pretty strong. I just almost have this invincibility complex sometimes of just because I work so hard and I take good care that I, you know, I can get through anything. And this was just one of those, the first things I had to confront that I was not going to have a whole lot of control over. I mean, I wasn't going to be able to outwork it or outwill it. I was just going to have to really literally hope for the best. Being diagnosed with cancer wasn't Keegan's first medical scare. Back in 2008, she developed a serious blood clot that landed her in the hospital and almost ended her career. But cancer felt really different. First of all, am I going to live through this? And the, the treatment itself was, was a lot more intimidating of either major surgery or chemotherapy and radiation and how that was going to feel and how that was going to change my body for, you know, was it going to change it drastically for the rest of my life? And, um, but just, and I think too, when I had the blood clot, you know, Jeff and I were just about to get married, but when I got the cancer diagnosis, you know, we had Breck and just the, the reality of how it was going to impact my family as well. On July 11th, Keegan posted a short essay on her website titled New Diagnosis. She disclosed that she'd started chemotherapy earlier in the week and promised that she'd keep her fans up to date on her treatment through vlogs. Hello, Keegan here. Uh, chemo day one is all wrapped up. Um, I chose to be really open about it because of the experiences I'd had going through things like the blood clot. Like when I'd had the blood clot, I also kind of shared what was going on because I thought it was important that I let people know that here I was this strong athlete and yet it could happen to me too. And I also just felt like so many people had been on the journey with me through all the, all the athletic goals and pursuits and the highs and the lows that it was important to share this too. Say this, you know, this is my life. It's not just all the podiums. It's, you know, it's ups and downs and Hope to kind of give some meaning to what I was going through. Uh, hello from day 27. I've, as you can tell, I've kind of lost my voice. It's day six of uh, second round. What I didn't realize was how how much I was going to get back from, from being open. Like, I just thought I'm going to be keeping everybody updated. I didn't realize how much, how important the support coming back to me was going to, the difference it was going to make in, in keeping my spirits up in you know, practical tips on how to get through this stuff that I, you know, in a totally new world I was exploring. Knowing an audience is watching, I guess, um, kind of helped keep, keep me focused and, you know, reminded me to stay positive and, and some of these things um, that if I decided to be a lot more private about, you know, when I was having tough moments, you know, I could, I could have gotten away, you know, I could have laid on the couch. I could have given myself a pity party, you know, um, so it was just, it was just kind of cool to, to have that kind of like to continue be, being a role model and being on display and, and how much it, it kept me accountable. Hello from day 130. Woo, sounds like a lot. Uh, today was full of follow-up appointments with my oncologist, my breast surgeon, and a check-in with the radiation oncologist. So everybody was in a really good mood uh, given the pathology reports, report from yesterday saying that all the cancer, um, as far as we can tell, is gone. How did your doctor actually deliver the news that you that your treatments had worked? 
um, with a GIF on, on, on a text message of a woman <laughs> dancing. So the, the best indicator that we had that my treatment was, was successful was when my breast surgeon went in and cut out the tissue where the tumor had been because she was able to see that the chemotherapy had shrunk the tumor um, to where it's at, it actually had completely disappeared. Like there was no visible sign of the tumor anymore. And so that was really good because that's the best outcome you can ask for. But at the same time, like I know with this cancer thing, like my treatment has gone well and we're, we have all the reason to be optimistic, but um, you, they don't, they don't have a way to say, Hey, you've been completely cured. Like there's always a risk of recurrence um, in a, either a local way or a more serious way. So um, nothing is guaranteed. And again, it comes down to mindset and say, well, I could be scared the rest of my life, or I can just say, you know what, I'm going to choose to focus that things have gone well, we're optimistic, and I'm going to look forward. Not long after she got the all clear, Keegan signed up for the 2019 New York Marathon. She'd been planning to run the race in 2018, before she got her diagnosis. And she'd even briefly thought about trying to do it that year, during treatment. But after a couple of rounds of chemo, I realized that probably wasn't the smartest thing to do because my immune system was already compromised uh-huh. and it probably wasn't going to feel that great. And it, um, so I just decided I would go support my teammate who was going to run it. So I was there watching her ride, her run and standing in the finish area, watching her come across the line. It just kind of made me realize like, okay, a year from now, I think I'll be feeling better and I want to come back and I want to run this marathon. Not only did you sign up for the New York City Marathon shortly after finishing cancer treatment, you wanted to run a sub-three marathon, which is obviously very fast. Um, why Why was that time so important to you? Why was it important to you to run fast? I've always been someone who, who likes to go after something challenging. So I think for me to just run the marathon um, wasn't wasn't enough of a goal. Like I wanted to try to give myself something to chase after. So I literally sat down and I said, well, my 5K time, I can do a 5K in around 18 minutes. So I thought, well, I'm going to have to run a little slower for the marathon. So I just kind of picked a pace that sounded reasonable. And and to me, I was like, oh, three hours. What I didn't realize is that 26 miles is a long way that you have to not only run, you have to run that pace over and over and over. And I also didn't realize how hard it was going to be on my legs after coming off of such a ski background. Yeah, <laughs> um, I can I can imagine. Um, but obviously, you you made it. You you ran two fifty five. I would say ninety percent of the training over the summer really made me question why I signed up for this and whether or not I was going to be able to get under three hours. Because I would do these long runs and I would be so sore, and I do like a tempo run and my goal pace would feel hard for like five miles and then thinking about running an additional 21 on top of that. Um, But then when it came to New York to the race day, it just ended up being such a great day. Like two of my teammates that I ski raced with um, decided to come run it with me and we miraculously found each other all at the start. Um, So we're running along. It's like, it's a beautiful day. Like I think it was like a perfect temperature. Um, we're, we're running the pace, we're running all together. And then 
over the second half, of course it got hard, but my legs were hanging in there and um, to get in under the well under the goal and to be a, to, to have done it with my teammates on such a beautiful day and, and then to be able to cross that finish line and just go like all that's transpired in the past year. It's uh, I don't know if I'll ever be able to do another marathon because everything went so well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't want to ruin the experience. Yeah. Do you think that, you know, you're somebody who has lived the last 20 years of their life with, you know, a goal, a race to win, to plan for. Do you think that that racing going forward is always going to be a part of your life in some way or another? Yeah, I um when I retired last spring, I was so excited to to not have a special training program to follow. The fact that I could, you know, just do anything and a friend called and said we want to go ride, like great, we could do that. But it would literally like get out the door and I would be paralyzed by indecision because I had so many choices of what to do, I couldn't decide. Um and so I realized pretty quickly that I like having a goal and I like doing a training program that helps me feel stronger as I go. Um, and so it was, it was so fun to have a, a goal this year that was something a little bit different than what I'm used to, um, that kept me kind of getting out the door every day and building up to it. And then to have that really good performance. I mean, I felt like I was kind of floating off the ground for the full week after that. Um, just the, I love the endorphins and the feeling of a good race. And so I am realizing that, um, I think racing will be a part of my life. I love racing. I love the way it makes me feel, and I love preparing for them. That's Keegan Randall. She's got two 50K ski races in the books for this winter, and she's open to suggestions for other events she should enter. This story was produced by Stephanie Joyce and edited by Mike Roberts. Music by Robbie Carver. This episode of The Outside Podcast was brought to you by Bob's Red Mill making ingredients that are the backbone of proper nutrition for athletes. The Outside Podcast is a production of Outside Integrated Media and distributed by PRX. We'll be back next week.